tonight, um, before you put up that first slide, don't do it yet. I know you're thinking about it. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. If you're taking notes, you want to write that down. Matthew chapter 22, uh, Acts chapter 2. You can turn there if you want. So we're going to start really fast tonight. Are you ready? It's going to get real deep real fast. Ready? All right, you can put the first slide up. Our independence is killing us because God is not a disembodied head. You heard me right. Our independence is killing us because God is not a disembodied head. See, here's the thing. We want to be able to say to people that we love Jesus while also not loving his family. Could you imagine how our relationship would be if you hated my wife and you hated my kids, but you said that you loved me? I think sometimes in our mind, we like the idea of loving people, but we like the idea of loving people as long as they meet our demands and meet our expectations and fulfill the things that we want them to fulfill in our lives. The problem is, is that is not love. That is the definition of narcissism. Narcissism says, I will love you as long as it is good for me. And unfortunately, I think sometimes the ideas and values of our culture have crept into the way that we see God, the way we see his commands, and how we actually live out our lives. And sometimes it's so subtle that we don't even think about it. It becomes normal. Unfortunately, our culture has tried to make things about us, about our comfort level, about what we like and what we prefer. And in many ways, I think many of us as Christians, we've, we've learned to take advantage of the church. And when the church doesn't meet our needs, when community isn't what we think it ought to be, there's this guy named Diedrich Bonhoeffer, which most of you have probably never read any of Diedrich Bonhoeffer's work, but you should. Uh, he was a pastor in Nazi Germany and eventually died for his faith. But he says, if we love our idea of community more than we love the community itself, we will kill community. And I think often we have our expectations and our ideas and this grand idea, and whenever someone doesn't meet that expectation, then we, we choose to believe that it's not worth it. We, we want to have this solo relationship with Jesus as if God is some disembodied head that we can love him without loving his body in a meaningful way. And unfortunately, I think that is an impossibility. You see, in Matthew chapter 22, uh, we read in verse 36 last week, and so I'm going to pick up what we read last week, and we're going to continue on. In Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40, Jesus asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So we're in this sermon series called the three anchors. And you probably see the sign up here. We've got two more signs out front. We have three anchors. And in these three anchors, uh, we believe that, that as we go through difficulty in life, as we face challenges and obstacles, there will always be a temptation to veer off course, to turn around and go back, to abandon the faith, or to stumble and fall. And what I would submit to you is that if you hold fast and you practice these three anchors, that in life's difficult moments, that you'll be able to persevere through them. And so the first we talked about last week, real devotion to Jesus, the first and greatest commandment, to love God with all your heart. Jesus says the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Elijah, or Whoever has the other mic, could I have that, please? 
because I think the covers got switched and I have the wrong mic. And so we like the idea of loving our neighbor as ourselves. In fact, that's probably one of our, our favorite teachings about Jesus. It's our, one of the most popular teachings about Jesus. And so, wow, that's hot. So um, we like the idea of loving our neighbors ourselves, but the problem is some of you guys are really hard to love, if I'm just being real honest. Sometimes I am really hard to love. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. Ask my kids. They'll probably tell you the same thing. And so because loving our neighbor as ourself requires us to have this covenantal type relationship and community, we, we like to say we do it, but we, we actually don't. We, we settle for a counterfeit. And so that's where we're going to be going tonight. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, before I go any farther, I want to tell you a story, though. You guys like stories? Yeah, I'm going to tell you a sad story. So, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, my life's hard, guys. You should... Anyways, so um, my parents, they, they sent me to this private Christian school most of my life uh, called Northside Methodist Academy. It's in Dothan. And so my whole life I went there. Uh, my dad was a blue-collar guy. He worked at a, a factory and um, so I was, you know, most of the kids I went to school with in this private school, like they, their parents made lots of money. And so uh, I think at the time we would have described how they dressed as preppy. So like through ninth grade, like everybody like wore like khaki shorts with a tucked in polo shirt. And like you had to have a belt and there's a strict dress code. And like literally everybody looked the same. Like literally everybody looked the same. They dressed the same. And like. You know, teachers would give you, like, extra points if you'd, like, wear suits. Like, half the time, people are, like, really dressed up. And so, like, this was my world, and it was very strict uh, Christian education. And so I was very sheltered, okay? This is not the sad part yet, right? And so I was thankful for that. Well, then I decided that I did not want to be at this private Christian school anymore because it wasn't fun. They didn't have good sports at the time, and I wanted to play sports. And so I was like, hey, Dad, let me go to public school. I went to a county school. And so they let me go. And it was culture shock day one because um, people didn't wear khaki shorts with their polo shirt tucked in. Um, they didn't look like that. People didn't look like what I was used to at all. And they didn't act or think like me. And I realized really quickly that like I did not fit in. So I did what any 15-year-old would do is I begged my parents to go buy me some new clothes so I could fit in and make new friends because I really hated sitting by myself at lunch and break because... Right, that's really sad, right, when you sit by yourself. And so I did all the things to fit in, and eventually I made some friends. And here's what happens. I fit in enough to, like, sit at the table, but just, like, sit really quietly because, like, my belonging to the group was so fragile that if I opened my mouth and said something dumb, I felt like they would judge me. So I just sat there really quietly, but at least I wasn't sitting alone anymore. At least I looked like they did, and I had the appearance of fitting in, and I wasn't sitting alone. And, and to be honest, like, that was actually more sad to be sitting with a group of people that I actually knew nothing about, that I really didn't care about, and that I couldn't be myself around because the relationships were so fragile that if I said the wrong thing, I was afraid that, like, I would not be included in the group and I'd go back to sitting by myself again. Now, I know that you guys are way more cool than I am, right? So uh, you guys have probably always had friends, and you've probably always been the popular kid wherever you go, and I get it. So, like, you know, it's just me. I'm awkward sometimes, most of the time, all the time, really. But anyways, most of us have probably found ourselves 
in a crowded space, feeling completely alone, mostly because we either don't feel understood, we don't feel like our opinions or our ideas are valued, but for whatever reason, we find ourselves surrounded by other people with no meaningful connection to any of them. I think oftentimes we do this at church too. We show up and we stare at the back of the head of the person in front of us. We never have any meaningful interactions. We, we never have this sense of confidence that if like, I actually had a need, I could count on one of these people to help me out. And I think sometimes we do those things on purpose because after all, like, people are messy. And like people make bad choices and their bad choices hurt us. And so we have all of this baggage that hinders us from loving our neighbor as ourself in a meaningful way. And so we keep people at arm's length. But here's the good news. You see, Jesus knows that we all have this deep longing to be connected. We read in the psalm earlier that, that God puts the lonely in families. Like you were created to belong somewhere. God did not design you to be a lone ranger for him. No matter how amazing you are at personal Bible study, no matter how amazing your own quiet time or prayer time or, or what you can do for Jesus, God did not design you to be a lone ranger and God did not design you to sit quietly in a group and never share your opinions. In fact, God puts something in us that, that draws us to real belonging to be understood, to understand others, and to love other people in a way that they want to be loved and to be loved in return. And God, God knows this about you, and God wants this for you. Jesus actually died so that we could be adopted into his family. Like this is, this is the gift of salvation that we were once far off, and he died to reconcile us to God and reconcile us to his body. And so this is what Jesus is offering us. The problem is, even though we may understand this, we often sabotage this opportunity to be in community. And I want to talk to you guys about a few things that we do to sabotage ourselves when it comes to being in community. The reasons that we often live lives differently than what Jesus is calling us to live outside of real community. The first thing that I observe that people do is we pursue meaningless pleasure in the company of others. You see, nobody likes to be alone all the time. Some people like to be alone sometimes, but, but I think what we do as a trade-off to help deal with our loneliness is we find people who want to do fun things, and we go do the fun things with the fun people, but we're only there for the fun things, and the things are stopped fun, and things get serious, we just bail. And so we, we do activities, and we go different places, and listen, I think, I don't mean this in a negative way, you guys don't get mad at me, but listen, some of you, you went to like every Welcome Week event, right? And you're probably still going to go to like every other event that's going on. And it's just event after event, place after place, doing things after doing things after doing things. But most of it is just mere entertainment. And there's actually no real connection with other human beings in a meaningful way. And I, I think we can even do this with church. In fact, I think sometimes we have made church uh, an entertainment of its own. I mean, listen, if... Uh, if worship isn't entertaining enough for us, we'll just find someone else that's more entertaining. Or we, we think of even sermons in terms of, well, was, was this person funny? 
did it uh, make me feel good about hearing what they had to say? And I think even church, sometimes we can get to the place where we're like, you know, what? I just need to go to another meeting. I need to go to another event. I need to go to like five different Bible studies so I can just occupy my time. And I'll just like hang out with so many different people that I never have anything meaningful about these connections. It just keeps me going. It's like relational chewing gum. The other thing, as you can see on the screen, that we do to sabotage real community is we gravitate to people who are superficially like us. Now, I'm going to be real honest. Is that okay? That's all I know how to do. I think it is an affront to the gospel of Jesus Christ if you only ever are in community with people who look like you, who are superficially like you, who dress like you, who like what you like. This is not the New Testament picture of the body of Christ. Because what binds us together in real community is not the fact that we like the same sports team or we wear the same brand of clothing or we have the same um, superficial likes or dislikes. What binds us together is the blood of Jesus. And that's what community should be about. But I think oftentimes what happens is we sacrifice meaningful connection with people because of the temporary discomfort of feeling out of place. We walk into a place and we immediately size up the people. We prejudge people based on how we feel, first gut instinct reaction, and we, we either choose to draw back or we choose to open ourselves up to saying, hey, maybe there are people who are superficially not like me, but maybe we could have a really, really deep connection. And maybe, just maybe, they could understand you better than people who maybe come from your same cultural background or ideas or way of uh, growing up or your family structure. Like maybe, just maybe, God wants to bring people from all walks of life together and somehow supernaturally put them in families together so that the whole world can know that there is something special when his presence is with us. And so I think sometimes we sell ourselves short. We sabotage real community by putting ourselves in echo chambers or surrounding ourselves with people who think or act just like us. I pray, I pray that you're in community with people who have different political ideas than you. I pray that you're in community with people who view the world differently than you, who, who have a different worship style than what you grew up with. Because I think sometimes we so narrowly define who we can be in community with because of our own comfort level, that we're not willing to push through the awkwardness to really go to deeper levels of relationship. Number three, the way we sabotage ourselves from real community is we avoid openness and trust to avoid getting hurt. Now, this is probably the most universal thing, right? Everybody here has been let down. Everyone here has been offended, maybe already in the sermon. I don't know. But somewhere, somebody made you upset, and you didn't like it, they did something, and you're, th you're thinking, like, how in the world could that person really love Jesus if they did that thing to me? And we like to hold on to that thing as our excuse for never being real with anyone else ever. And what we're doing is we're sabotaging what Jesus wants to do in our life. Because it is the will of God that we would learn to love other people as ourselves. And you will never truly love another person the way that Jesus intended for us to love if you keep everyone at arm's length. 
Now, I know that there's probably so much baggage in the room, we do not have time to unpack it all tonight. I am not your therapist for the evening, okay? I'm not here to walk through all the church hurt or all the things that have ever happened to you. But I will tell you this. You have to deal with it. You can't pretend that you're okay keeping people at arm's length. You can't pretend that you can really enjoy what the body of Christ is meant to be in all of its unity and the fullness of the glory of, of who Jesus intended us to be and live as if you are afraid that God's people are going to hurt you or that, that somehow you're going to be rejected. And uh, I'll tell you what, if you come to Beach Breakout, we'll, we'll talk about that more because I, I believe there are some lies that we have believed about what it means to be a part of the body of Christ that are really limiting and sabotaging what Jesus wants for us. And in, in so many ways, we have robbed ourselves of what Jesus is calling us to know this love of the Father, that we would be able to love one another the way that, 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 that God and Jesus are, are one, that we would be one. So if you hang around, you're going to hear me talk about Acts 2 a lot. So we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going to start in verse 42. Now in Acts chapter 2, 42... Uh, we see these same disciples who have heard the teachings of Jesus. They know that they're supposed to love God with all their heart because they were good Jewish boys and they were raised uh, in the Torah and they heard Jesus echoed that these are the greatest commandments and they knew that they should love their neighbors or themselves. Like these are the same people that when they were walking with Jesus, they were frequently rebuked by Jesus because of all their arguing and bickering. These people, these disciples, I don't want to go to church with them because... Like, they made some really dumb decisions. So I'm just being real honest. Like, we could learn a lot just from all the stupid things Jesus' disciples said or did. And so frequently, Jesus is having to deal with arguments about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom or, or why, why, why one is going to be blessed or favored in one way and the other isn't. And so these people who are trained in this way of thinking, when, when they are filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts, this is what the manifestation of the first church looks like. The first description we have of the body of Christ is found in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 41. So those who received the word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions, belongings, and distributing the, uh, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is truly a supernatural phenomenon that we see here in the book of Acts. So if you go back and read the beginning of, of Acts chapter 2, what you'll find out is that these people who were baptized that day, they came from all over the region. They spoke different languages. Most of them were ethnically Jews, but they had been raised in different cultures and spoke different languages because um, the Roman well, Alexander the Great and then later the Roman Empire had continued to send them into dispersion. And so you have all these people with different backgrounds who don't know each other, who don't really understand each other, who have nothing superficially in common. And then we see this beautiful picture of what 
the community of believers is supposed to look like. That they spent time together daily having meals together, celebrating the Lord's Supper. That they sold their possessions to help other people out who had need. That they prayed together and they worshiped together and they had all things in common and they did this happily with humility and joy. Not with fighting or gossiping or bickering or complaining because they didn't get it their way. The picture that Luke paints for us of what the early church looked like, I believe, is a picture of what Jesus wants the body of Christ to be like. Now, here's the thing. We're probably going to fall short. Okay? We're going to fall short of this, and we're not going to get it perfect, and I'm not saying that if we don't get it perfectly, I'm not saying everybody bring all your money right here and put it in a collection, and then I'll spend it how I want. Right? That's, that's not what I'm saying, because this isn't about the money, but I think there is something telling that we can observe here. See, I'm, I'm not saying that you need to give me all your money so that I can decide who needs what, and we become a communist state, and like all buy a plot of land, and Live, live together in the woods. That's, that's not what I'm advocating for. Although it doesn't sound that bad. Anyways, it's a joke, people. But think about this. Let's not think about, like, selling your stuff. Let's just think about sharing, right? You guys are really good at sharing when you're kids, I bet, right? No, okay, good, good, yeah. yeah. People don't like to share. And I don't, I don't know, like, what the most important thing to you is. Uh, I would say for a lot of people, maybe, maybe your vehicle is pretty important to you. Like, that's probably not a thing you share very easily. Um, so how about this? I can tell who the people are that you really trust by the people that you would give the keys to your car to. No, it's a sign that I have let my guard down and I have decided that your well-being is more important than any apprehension or anxiety I might feel about you harming my car so much to the point that, that I'm willing to say your good is more important than my car being in operable condition. That sounds crazy to most of you. And I'm not going to like giving away your car. I'm saying let somebody borrow it for like an hour. And I, I think this maybe gives us a, a hint at how far off we are from a biblical concept of Christian community. Again, I, I'm not advocating that we should be some kind of communal state and that, that we should all pay each other's bills, although I think there are times that that's probably appropriate. But I think what this indicates is the superficiality of our understanding of what it means to love one another. Our superficiality of what it means to really be in community with other people. I was raised with this idea in Christianity that if I had sin in my life, well, I should just take it to the altar and leave it there, and that was between me and Jesus, and we should never talk to other people about our weaknesses because then they'll look down on us. I think some people, we don't like to talk about our weakness because like, then they'll judge us or maybe then they'll view us differently, and we just care so much about what other people think about us. Can I tell you, the places in your life, the spaces that you are most content are the spaces where you don't care what other people think about you, and you can really be yourself. And for most of those, those places are few and far between. Those people that we have that level of comfort with are few and far between. And the reality is, in order to get there, we have to go through some stuff together. 
The people that you trust the most are people that have seen you on your worst day. They're people that have been through the most difficult times with you. And because they've stayed faithful in friendship to you through that, well, now you have some earned trust. You have relational capital. But I, I don't think that this idea of Christian community should only be based on those people that you have tested and that you have verified, that you put through an interview process or that you somehow force them to earn that trust. What I see in the book of Acts is that they had no common creed. They had no confession of faith. They had no doctrinal position. They had no organizational structure. They had no way of determining who was going to be in charge. The idea of a deacon had not been invented. They had not solved that problem yet. All of the things that we sometimes look to in determining our relationships, they had none of it. What they had is a common Holy Spirit indwelling all of them. And somehow, some way, that was enough. That was enough to share meals together. That was enough to, to spend time devoting themselves to the teachings of the, of the apostles. That was enough to worship together freely on a regular basis. Some of you, you'll hang around long enough. We do this class called XA 101, and we're going to talk about this idea of covenant community when we get there. But I often ask this question of people. What if we stop doing whatever it is that you like about what we're doing here? I don't know what it is you like. I don't know if you think TJ's like really awesome on guitar, or if uh, you, know, you think I'm a good preacher, or if you think like there's a certain person that's here who's really welcoming, or, or maybe there's just... I don't know what it is. Maybe we have good snacks, and so you're just here for the food. I, I don't know why you're here. But I ask you a question, like, what if we stopped doing the thing? What if whatever the thing was that drew you here wasn't here anymore, and it was just about whether or not you love Jesus and love people enough to show up? You see, I think that is, again, it comes back to our hearts. And what do we really think community is supposed to be like? What do we really think God's purpose and plans for us. And I, I you know, I, I, I'm not saying that, you know, you're not saved. I'm not saying that, that God's angry at you. What I'm saying is I think Jesus wants more for you. That Jesus knows your heart's longing to belong, to be in real community with other people where you can be honest and vulnerable. But that real community will only happen through real devotion to Jesus, which is what we talked about last week. Real community is based on a real devotion to Jesus. Because here's the thing, what, what Bonhoeffer says is that I see my brother through the eyes of Christ. I see my brother as Christ sees him, not as my flesh sees him. I don't trust the version of my brother that I see with my eyes. I, I have trust the version of my brother that is redeemed and regenerated in and through Christ. And that Christ calls us to this community and that if we are mutually committed to him, to his word, and to abiding in his spirit, we will find a way to work through the bumps and bruises of relationships. We will find a way to handle our disagreements and our arguments. We will find a way to honor each other when we have different theological positions. We will find a way to be mutually submitted to the person of Jesus. And I think sometimes the reason our idea of community fails is we, we miss the first anchor. We miss the first step to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That we, 
maybe aren't as committed to the person of Jesus as we thought. Because after all, if these are Jesus' people, if this is his body, then he is the head, and he is responsible, and it's on him to work out the differences, not on me. And I think sometimes we come in thinking, I have to set the parameters of what community is going to look like. I have to set the limits. I have to set the barriers. I have these expectations that must be met. And I think sometimes we come in with all that baggage and we just dump it on other people. And then we wonder why we don't feel God's presence working amongst us. We wonder why there's not unity. We wonder why we don't actually feel at home among God's people. See, I think this is, at least for me, it's strange because I was, I was raised in a, a small country church my whole life. And so, so all of my friends were always the people that I went to church with. And it, it blows my mind that Christians have as much, if not more, deep connections with non-believers as they do with the body of Christ. Like, that makes no sense to me. I can't fathom how that works because at the end of the day, the only reason that I could ever trust anyone is because I trust Jesus. Because I depend on him. And so here's, here's where we find ourselves tonight. We have to ask ourselves, am I really worried that other people are the problem? Or is that an excuse to not allow Jesus to deal with the problems in my own life? Because ultimately, if Jesus wants me to be in community, in covenant relationship with his body, if that is his will, if he's said in his word that that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. If he's given us this picture of what the body of Christ ought to look like, then I can't blame it on my brother if I don't have what God wants for me. Ultimately, it comes back to my relationship with Jesus. Am I allowing Jesus to do the things in my own heart to make it so that I can actually live like he intended me to be? So and I can actually have the freedom to be myself around my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can have the freedom to admit when I'm wrong, to apologize to people when I've let them down, and that that doesn't change my standing with them just because I'm weak. And I think all of us deeply long for that. We were made for that. Jesus has destined us for that. And a new creation we will experience fully. But now we sabotage ourselves and we wrestle back and forth I'm going to close here in a minute, so um, if you can come back up and start playing guitar for us, TJ. Real community is not built around our own culture or our own ideas or our own preferences or ways of doing things. In real community, there's confession and repentance of sin. There's loving correction for a brother who stumbles. There's the sharing of resources for those who are in need. There's the acceptance of of the unacceptable things and unacceptable people. There is encouragement for those who lack strength and are weak. There's safety for those who are vulnerable and in need. In real community, I am loved, I am comforted, I am confronted, I am equipped, and I am restored. And in real community, Jesus is shaping me into the person he wants me to be. You see, here's the thing. I cannot become the person Jesus wants me to be by myself because I can't, love to lo I can't learn to love my neighbor as myself by myself. 
I actually need some of you to be boneheads once in a while so that I can understand the grace that Jesus has given me. I, I need the weaknesses of other people so I can see how the Lord uses weak people to do amazing things. That I need my brothers and sisters to help me be the person that Jesus wants me to be. And so in community, we learn to be who Jesus wants us to be. And in community, Jesus uses the brothers and sisters and their gifts to build us up. In Ephesians, it, it says that Jesus gave gifts to the body so that the body could be built up, so that we could all attain maturity. You are not gifted enough to become what Jesus wants you to be on your own. You need the gifts that Jesus has put inside of other people. I need you to use the gifts that Jesus has given you. I need you to be bold and courageous to speak out when the Lord speaks to you. I need you to do that because I don't have everything in me to be the person Jesus wants me to be, that this is how God designed it, that none of us would be so prideful or arrogant to think that we don't need one another. And so tonight, I want to invite you to reflect and to pray and to, to have a conversation with Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're sabotaging yourself in one of the ways we talked about earlier. Maybe you're just seeking a good time. You're pleasure-seeking around other people because you just don't want to stop and sit down and think about what's really going on in life, or you don't want to have meaningful relationships, so you just, you're the fun guy who only wants to do the fun things. Maybe, maybe you think that in order to be in community, everybody has to be like you. Maybe you have this idea of what type of people you might actually be able to get along with. To be honest, if that's the case, I think that's probably sin, and you should repent of it. But maybe, maybe you have some preconceived ideas about other people that are keeping you from loving them and being loved the way Jesus wants you to. Maybe, maybe you were hurt. Maybe someone offended you. Maybe something happened in your past, and you have not dealt with that between you and the Lord. And so tonight, maybe you need to ask Jesus to heal your heart from whatever happened. Maybe, maybe tonight the Lord is going to call you to forgive some people that have hurt you. Because the only person you're, you're really hurting by holding on to those things is you because you're sabotaging your opportunity to have what Jesus has made you to have, to be in real community. These are not things that, that happen instantaneously. I'm not, not saying that if you come to the altar and cry a little bit that, that everything's going to be okay. I don't think that's how that works most of the time. But what I, what I am saying is tonight, if the Lord is speaking to you, if he's calling something out in you, then we should respond to that. Listen, I think there's another group of people here tonight that you're like, listen, I'm not really sure about this Jesus guy. Justin, I know you seem really sold on this Jesus dude, but I just don't know. Listen, I think before you can be in community with the body of Christ, you have to have an encounter with Jesus himself. And I just want you to know that Jesus is inviting you to belong to his family. Jesus is not pushing you away He's not coming with his judgment. He's saying, I know that you're broken. I want to fix you and heal you so that you can be a part of my family. And so tonight, maybe Jesus is inviting some of you to join his family. And so that invitation is there as well. And so here's how we're going to do response. This is what we'll do most weeks. I'm not really caught up on a particular way of responding, but I do believe that when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we must respond and not harden our hearts. So in just a minute, I'm going to ask you all to stand. And I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I'm going to invite you to respond. Some of you, you're going to come down front and you're just going to kneel and pray. And maybe your friends are going to pray with you. 
And that's great if that's what you want to do. I'm going to stand probably over here in the corner. And if you want me to pray for you, I'd be happy to pray for any of you. If you want to go find your small group leader or another staff member, we'll be happy to pray with you if you want personal prayer. Some of you, you're going to kneel where you're at. You're going to stand where you're at. You're going to ask your friend to pray with you. That's okay too. I'm not caught up on a particular methodology or mode of responding, but what I want is that you would sincerely have a conversation with Jesus about what his word says and about what that looks like for you to be obedient in your own life. And so whatever that looks like for you, that's what I invite you to do tonight. So if you guys will stand with me, we're all going to respond to God's word together after I pray over. So I'm going to pray and then you guys can respond. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do not leave us alone, that you did not destine us to be a solitary island to ourselves. Lord, you have not called us to superficial relationships that lead to real inward loneliness. But Lord, you want to place us in your family. You want to teach us to love people that we don't think we can love, people we don't know how to love. Lord, you want to heal our hearts to increase our capacity to love and our capacity to be loved by you and by others. Lord Jesus, tonight, I don't know the exact need of every person, but I know that we are all in need of your work in our hearts. So Lord, tonight, would you give us the boldness and the courage to be responsive to what you want to do and that we would take in your word and that we would allow you to change us, that we would allow you to do the work that needs to be done in our lives so that we can really learn to love one another and to live in community as you planned for us. So I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Troy Chi Alpha podcast. For more information about the ministry of Troy Chi Alpha, you can look us up online at troychialpha.com. You can email us at troychialpha at gmail.com or find us on social media at Thanks for listening.